Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat, and if you would, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to start, just with a passage of Scripture today. Uh, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord, a joy to sing with you. I was uh, singing backstage after, uh, you know, getting cleaned up after baptism, and just, man, so thankful for our worship team. Uh, you know, I've heard of, like, dueling banjos, but we kind of had, like, dueling flute and, uh, you know, uh, electric guitar there. That was kind of awesome, so... Just really thankful for all of our skilled musicians and talented vocalists and Pastor Rick leading us. They all do so well. And uh, be praying for our uh, Christmas choir that is assembling uh, starting this afternoon. That's going to be fun. So uh, a lot of really cool things happening here as we head into the holiday season. And it's just fun to be a part of it. And I hope that, that you are excited about what the Lord is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing just in our church family in general. In this short two-week series that we called Welcome to the Family. And we really just wanted to talk about who we are as the family of God and what it means to be a member of a church. So uh, you might think, wow, that is a boring sermon series on church membership. And you might think that when we're done as well, but hopefully not, right? Uh, but because what we've talked about is the idea that church membership is actually really meaningful in some significant ways. And when you join a church home, what you are essentially saying is, I'm going to submit to the godly leadership of that church church, and I'm also going to be submitting to the one another's that make up this local expression that is the church of Jesus Christ, and this is a work that is done by the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 20 last week, it was very clear, Paul said to the elders in Ephesus, uh, that you are to shepherd the flock of God that the Lord has brought to you, that the Holy Spirit has set under you. So it is clear that it is the Holy Spirit who draws people to church membership. Can I tell you, that makes my job a lot easier today. Like, my, my heart, and you need to know from the get-go, if, if you're a guest with us today, like, we are not trying to get our membership rolls up or anything like that, because uh, I'm not capable of doing that if that was the goal. But what we do want is for the Holy Spirit of God to move in those who would be a part of the work of God that is happening here at Crossroad Church. So, uh, last week, many of you started praying about the possibility of joining the church that the Holy Spirit has brought together here at Crossroad. And as part of that process, it's really important for us to make sure that we find ourselves on the same page theologically. What we believe matters, and it matters a great deal. Uh, what we believe and why we believe it matters. And I want to just tell you that it's become shockingly clear in the last couple of decades that pro professed Christians, and I'm, I'm hesitant, borderline want to say so-called Christians, once you hear these stats you'll understand why I say that, that many Christians don't actually know what they believe. Barna is one of the leading pollsters when it comes to matters of faith and practice in Christianity and in America, and they've done extensive work trying to discover what it is that Christians actually believe. And again, when you hear some of these stats, you're going to say, I don't really know that those people are Christians. But the fact of the matter is, some of these numbers are probably reflected in the people sitting in these chairs around you, and certainly in our community at large. Around 25% of Christians would use descriptors of God that are inconsistent with the Bible. Phrases such as, everyone is God. Or God is the human potential inside of every person. 60% of Christians either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with this statement. Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Over 50% of so-called Christians. 
More than 20% of these Christians polled believed that Jesus sinned when he was on the earth. And over 50% also agreed with this statement, the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but is not a living entity. Is anybody else concerned yet? Some of you may be like, well, I kind of agree too. Well, today I'm hoping to lovingly correct that agreement. And this is the most absurd part to me. This is like I literally like almost yelled at my computer when I read this part. Of this group of people that was polled, and again, this is representative. Barna knows what they're doing. They're, they're a legit group. This wasn't me calling a handful of people and asking. In this same poll, over 70% of these people said that they agree that the Bible is accurate and trustworthy and that we should believe it. So here's what that tells me, friends. These statements that, that these people are saying, they believe that they believe the Bible, and, and what the reality is is that many Christians, even within the, the so-called Bible Belt that may be the South and up into our part of the Midwest, many people identify as Christians. They say they love the Bible, and they say they believe the Bible, but the reality is, friends, they don't know the Bible that they claim to believe. And their lives have, and their views and their theological views have been shaped more by the culture and the world around them rather than the word of God and biblical truth. I'm not going to take too much time today to unpack how this happens. As you can hear, I'm a little passionate about it and I'll get in trouble today. But I do think in a church culture that does not preach the word or take the Bible seriously, this is what happens. Like when church becomes primarily self-help, uh, pop psychology messages dressed up with a couple of random Bible verses. We think the Bible is all about how to make you awesome. And we don't ever handle or address anything that could be controversial or could perhaps even change the way we think about something. That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? This is what happens when church culture becomes what it's become. So in a world where Christians don't know what they believe, I, I believe today that it's become increasingly important for us as the people of God to make sure that we are on the same page and that we're clear about our core convictions. So this statement of beliefs that, that you have, many of you grabbed one on the way in. If you didn't, there's a ton of them on. You had to walk right past it pretty much. There's a table in the back, a round table with hundreds of copies of it. So feel free to go get one if you need to. Uh, but the statement of beliefs that you will find there that we're going to read through together is not really our attempt to clarify every single, as the Bible would say, jot and tittle of what we believe and why we believe it. But rather, this statement of beliefs is something that shapes our church. These are the issues that make us who we are. And also in this statement, we seek to address some of the biggest cultural issues that people are curious about when they're looking to find a church home. So I'm going to take some time today to really just simply read through this with you. And you may think, well, this is pretty redundant. We all know how to read. But I'm convinced that it's utterly important that we actually talk about these things and that you actually know what we believe and why we believe it. I'll attempt to offer some insight and clarification and encouragement along the way as we read through these. So I hope you grabbed one of those, and if you didn't, you could do that. Uh, I made that intentionally. Some of you are like, this font is way too small. I wanted it on one piece of paper, so you could hopefully fold that up and keep it in your Bible or, or keep it somewhere where it's handy, where you can always have that. If you're one of those people who are anti-paper, you can also go to crossroad.live and find this entire statement online as well. Uh, we already killed the tree, though, so you might as well grab one. 
So I want to read just a passage of scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Again, uh, this is not an apology, it's an explanation. Uh, I want to tell you that generally speaking, about 90% of Sunday mornings here at Crossroad, we are going to preach what we call an expository sermon, which means we will go to a text, we will read that text, and all of our truths and applications will come out of that text. But there are times in the church's life where we do need to address some specific situations and issues, and this is one of those Sundays, but come back next week and we will be diving into Luke's gospel together with an incredible message I'm really excited about. Uh, so we are here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want you to hear what the word of God says about the word of God. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, before you send me that email, skeptical believer, well, at this time, when this letter was written, the whole Bible didn't even exist yet. Who do we believe wrote the Bible? Yeah, the Holy Spirit led. Here's what Second. This is what the Bible says about itself in Second Peter that uh, nobody made up Scripture of their own accord, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we believe that when Paul wrote all scripture that the Holy Spirit of God knew what would be all scripture contained in the canon. I've got so much to do that I can't get sidetracked this morning, so let me stop while I'm ahead. We believe the Bible is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word, and we derive all of our truth from this book. I wanted to read that passage to you because everything that we say this morning, everything we read, we have arrived at because what we have found in this book, we believe it, friends. And you're going to notice as we read through these truths that at the bottom of every one, there are tons of Bible verses. And the reason that is, is because we wanted you to know that these statements were not just created out of nothing, but rather these come and are formed from the scriptures. So it's fitting that after reading the passage that we started with there, that we start our journey through our statement of faith by talking about what we believe about the Bible. So read along with me. The Bible, as comprised in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to humanity. The Bible is inerrant, that means without error, and it's the authoritative word of God revealing all things necessary to salvation and is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. This is what we believe, and everything else in this statement of faith flows out of this belief. So let's talk about God. There's only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. So a couple things that I'll mention here. First, uh, you notice this section that said God perfectly knows all things past, present, and future, including future decisions of his free creatures. This always comes up when people are looking for a church, and they'll ask this question, usually something like this. Do you believe in free will, or do you believe in predestination? 
And I know that I'm already an old man repeating stories, but I just like this story too much. And Steve's sitting here on the front row. When uh, the, the pastor search team was interviewing me over the phone, uh, that was one of the questions. I mean, it was like rocket fire, asking lots of big, hard, serious questions. And probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes into this thing, Steve said, uh, predestination or free will? And without missing a beat, in the moment, I said, yes. And they all just kind of laughed, and then it got quiet, and I let the silence linger for a few seconds, and finally Steve said, would you care to expand on that a little bit? <laughs> and what I told him is what I've told you multiple times, right, that, that we see both of these things so clearly in Scripture. There is a tension here that, that I can't completely resolve that, that I want to tell you from a Jewish perspective in the, the, old, the, the Old Testament into the New Testament times when Jesus walked on the earth, they were okay with tension. In this Western way of thinking, we hate tension, right? Like we want everything to be just smooth, easy, and explainable. But, but from a Jewish perspective, we, we believe that this tension is there and we acknowledge that it's okay. So we believe that God certainly knows, and we believe that he does predestine. We read that in the Bible, but we also believe whosoever will. We see that time and time again in Scripture. Can I tell you exactly how that works? No, I, I can't. And can you find a preacher that will tell you exactly how that works? Yeah, on both sides, and I think they're both wrong. Okay? Fair? All right, there you go. Some of you are already out. <laughs> Just quietly pack up your stuff and, you know. Also, you saw in here this concept of the Trinity. We talked about that last week, and now we're going to talk about these three distinct persons that make up the one true God. Let's talk about God the Father. God as Father reigns with providential care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all men. So we have God the Father, now we have God the Son. This starts with a very important statement, Christ is the eternal Son of God. This is an important opening statement for this reason, friends. Many false religions today teach that Jesus was a created being. So it's important that we lead with this when we talk about Jesus, that he is eternal. Uh, there are also false teachings out there, specifically in some of the Pentecostal movements, that suggest that God was a God and then he became Jesus and now he's the Holy Spirit. Not three in one, but three different things at different points in history. That is uh, heretical. That is not what we believe. Jesus has existed from the very beginning. How do we know that? The Bible tells us so. Do you remember what we studied in Colossians where it said that Jesus was there at creation and an active agent in that so Christ is the eternal son of God continuing in his incarnation as Jesus Christ he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind yet without sin he honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, and whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission." 
He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord through God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. Through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer under the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer in the church in worship, evangelism, and service. Guys, I'm just getting hype reading theology up in here. And I hope you are too. Isn't this encouraging? I'm actually praying about doing a series on the Holy Spirit during the Christmas season. We'll see if the Lord leads in that direction. But like that statistic revealed earlier, guys, it's pretty important that we learn and understand what the Holy Spirit is. And let me say it this way, who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. It's He, the Holy Spirit, part of the Godhead. So now we'll shift from God to his creation. We believe in the biblical account of creation. God created the physical universe and everything in it in six literal days. Man was created by God, not from previously existing forms of life. Now I want to simply state here that there are many Christians who are not what uh, people would define as young earth creationists. Uh, I don't think that that makes them non-believers, but I also think it's very important for us as a church to put a stake in the ground regarding this issue. There are, and I want to just say this so clearly, because especially people my age, this is not popular, but you need to hear this. Uh, you, we tend to, and this happens, I know this happens with older people too, because I deal with y'all quite a bit as well. We all tend to think we're the smartest person in the room all the time. Man, you know, my favorite is when I've got that, you know, the, the teenage atheist who's hanging out and I'm just so glad that they're here and I'm just like shaking their head at everything I say and I'm just like, all right, bro, you know, I'm glad that at 15 you are so much smarter than thousands of years of Christian history and theology and belief, right? And we all tend to kind of have this. And what I want to tell you now is that media and culture has acted like, oh, this completely disregards science. But I want to tell you there are real intellectual reasons that you can believe in the literal biblical account of creation. And I'm not going to take time to try to defend that apologetically this morning, but I want you to know uh, that this, so if you disagree with that, let me just say you might be wrong and you should do some research into that. You're welcome. The, the, greatest, the, the greatest apologists say this, and then I'm going to move on because I'm just going to keep talking about all these exciting things. <laughs> it's like getting to preach 12 sermons in one day. I'm so hyped right now. The greatest apologists will say this, that if you can put a pebble in their shoe, you've done your job. So maybe some of you go home saying, that's uncomfortable, and start you know, looking some things up, and I pray that the Lord would speak to you on that. So well, the reason we believe this is, again, because there are intellectual reasons to believe the biblical account, but also we believe the Bible and we take it at its word. So let's talk about God's creation in humanity, man. Human beings were created in the image of God, but in the garden fell into sin and were alienated from God. 
Through the temptation of Satan, humanity disobeyed the command of God and fell from their original innocence. Therefore, as soon as they are capable of moral action, they become sinners and are under condemnation. Only God's grace can bring redemption for sinful man. God created humanity in his own image, and Jesus Christ died to redeem sinful humanity. Every person of every race possesses full dignity and is worthy of respect and Christian love. Every single human being you encounter, friends, is made in the image of God. This wording was included in our original statement of belief and statement of faith. It's been there from the very founding of our church, and I always make a comment on that last statement uh, in our membership class that this is really important to us because part of our church history is the special connection that we have with the special needs community through uh, what was the arc of Sedgwick County, now Ability Point. In fact, this Tuesday, many of you are going to help us as we serve just hundreds, possibly even over a thousand people at Thanksgiving meal. We are so pumped to be able to do that, and And from the early days of our church, we have sought to make room for our brothers and sisters with intellectual or physical disabilities. So this statement has been there, and it's so important to us to have this here. And it's part of really the DNA of our church family. Let's talk about salvation. Oh, you thought I was hyped earlier. You ain't ready. Salvation is the redemption of the whole person, and it is freely offered to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died a substitutionary sacrifice once for all the sins of man. Only through repentance, faith in Christ, and regeneration of the Spirit can an individual experience salvation. Those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are born again of the Holy Spirit and become part of the family of God, the church. We believe the redeemed are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. Oh, friends, could it be that you came today and then I started teaching and you're like, Dad gum, this dude's just gonna read to us the whole time. But could it be that the Lord had you here so you could hear that salvation is available? that you are indeed a great sinner, but we have a great Savior who died a substitutionary death on the cross. That means he took your place. He was your substitute. That the, the sin and shame and guilt that you deserved were poured out on Christ as he hung on the cross, but we believe that he rose three days later guaranteeing us new life. And all who accept this free gift of salvation in that moment are saved through the work of Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and then this Holy Spirit that we read about comes to you as a seal of your salvation and God does an absolutely incredible work. Friends, this could be your story today. If you don't know Jesus, don't leave. Like, I I don't care if you disagree with the rest of what you hear today. If you don't know Jesus, don't leave here without making him Lord and Savior of your life this day. And some of you maybe have been in church for a long time, and as we're going through these beliefs, you're like, well, wait a second. Like, I know a lot of these things, I know a lot of these truths, but I don't know that I've ever experienced salvation. Brother, sister, today could be the day you give your life to Christ. Don't assume because you've been parked in the same seat for years that you know Jesus. As the old preachers say, do you know that you know that you know? Jesus is the Lord of your life. I pray that you do.
Salvation is available. So once you're saved, you're brought into the church. What does the church look like? Well, that's kind of what we've been seeking to talk about, but there are a couple of important things here in what we call the ordinances of the church, particularly baptism and the Lord's Supper. You got to witness baptism this morning. Here's what our statement says. Christian baptism is the believer's public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The believer is immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. Friends, you need to know baptism is not the salvation moment. We said it so clearly earlier that Gunner gave his life to Christ last summer. And at that moment, his salvation was secured, signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he was in Christ. But baptism is the outward symbol of that inward change. I always say when I'm wearing this wedding ring, I've been trying to lose some weight, and I've finally lost enough weight to wear my wedding ring again, so you know I'm married now. Mallory would beat me if you, you know, didn't know that. But I actually don't wear it a lot of days just because, you know, I know that I look like a guy who would usually wear a lot of bling and jewelry and stuff, but it's not my, it's not my thing. But I always, when I'm wearing this ring, especially talking to Gunner the other day, I was like, hey, bud, when I take off this ring, am I still married to Miss Mallory? And I always love it with kids because sometimes they're like, did this dude just make a big decision? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm still married. Yes, like if you ask her, she's going to get on you, right? But this is an outward symbol that tells the world that I guess I belong to Mallory, right? Like that's, <laughs> she's watching online. Love you, baby. All right, so baptism is the outward symbol it's publicly identifying it's telling your church family and it's telling the world i belong to jesus so hear me when i say this friends some of you in this room have never been baptized this is the first step of obedience in the christian life one of my favorite moments as your pastor came i guess it's almost been two years ago now when we baptized over 20 people we had, we had to do a whole special service. We had so many people to baptize. And many of you that were baptized that day had been believers for some time, but you had never followed the Lord in obedience to baptism as the scripture lays out for us. If that's you today and you're like, man, I know Jesus, but I haven't been baptized, I still got water in here. Let's go, right? Like, like we, we can do that. We're so happy to have a baptistry that we can fill up and make happen on any Sunday. You email me, call me, let's get some coffee. Let's talk about baptism because we want you to follow the Lord in obedience through baptism. Let's talk about the Lord's Supper, also referred to as communion. This was instituted by Jesus Christ. Believers in Christ partake of the bread and the cup to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is unique to us. Not, we're not the only ones who do this, but this is different than some churches. We practice open communion, meaning that all Christ followers, whether you're a member of this church or not, are invited to participate in this ordinance. Uh, now, we do the Lord's Supper with somewhat regularity, usually on the first Sunday of the month, but we don't always do it on the first Sunday of the month. We sometimes mix it up and just like to you know, mess some of y'all up and do it on the second Sunday occasionally from time to time. Uh, but, but we do this on a regular basis as a church family, have some meaningful moments as we come together as the church. In fact, last week after our message on membership, we were able to do that, and that was a sweet time. Now, how about this next heading? Heaven, hell, and the second coming. That sounds like a sermon title. <laughs> 
Let's talk about these. We believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell and that those who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior will spend an eternity in heaven and those who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. Brothers and sisters, this is why we're serious about the mission God's given us. I can't keep preaching on that, but oh, may the Lord do a work in us and give us a burden for the lost so that we can share the salvation that we found in Christ. The second coming, we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? Hope is today. I would have preferred it would have been before election week, but that's all right. I know that the Lord knows what he's doing. We believe in the personal bodily return of Jesus Christ as Lord of lords and King of kings over all creation. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the living and the dead. Believers will be raised to everlasting joy with their Lord and unbelievers unto judgment and eternal punishment. Again, friends, this should give us an urgency to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The time is short. You don't even have to watch that. I quit watching the news and I still know that the time is short and it's getting shorter. Jesus is coming again. We've got to tell people that there's salvation available. Oh, God, give us a burden for the lost today. I'm, I'm running out of time, so I can't keep preaching on that. Let's move. Marriage and family. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. Marriage was established by God, and it's the covenant between husband and wife with God as the witness. Crossroad will recognize only marriages between one biological and physically born man and one biologically, biological and physically born woman. The pastors and staff of Crossroad may participate only in weddings and marriage celebrations between one man and one woman, and the facilities and the property of the church may only host those weddings. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It's composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. And with this, let's talk about sexual sin. We believe any form of sexual immorality defined as any sexual activity outside of biblical marriage is sinful and offensive to God. Despite our rapidly changing culture, the biblical sexual ethic remains our standard. One question I often get, and I want to address it today, is why do you have to address sexual ethics in marriage? You don't have statements about every other moral position, so why is it that you have to put this in your statement of faith? Why are you cherry-picking that one? And I want to give you two reasons. First, this is a huge cultural issue right now that everyone is talking about, and if we're silent about it and the church doesn't speak, I believe that we will abandon biblical truth on this. Oh, I'm, just, I'm saying it. <laughs> The filter tried to catch it, but I started talking, so here we go. When's the last time you heard a real strong message on divorce? Yeah, because of that. And the church was silent about it, and now all of a sudden we're shocked that the numbers in and outside of the church are the same, right? So if we don't speak on issues like this, friends, there's going to create problems. But the second one, this one may surprise you. I believe that being open and honest about where we stand is actually the most loving thing we can do for our neighbors who identify as LGBTQ. 
And here's why I mean that. There are a lot of churches that are unwilling to talk about or disclose where they stand on this issue. And they've been very quiet about it. They don't want to talk about anything controversial. They're just trying to get as many people as they can get to come into their church. And they've been silent about sexual ethics. And there are many who would identify as LGBTQ who would seek to find some sort of church home. And I've heard stories. I've even known some people, at least through friends, who went to a church and loved that church and that church never talked about what they believed and then ultimately they were shocked and hurt when they asked a pointed question to the leadership of the church to find that that church actually held the biblical value of marriage and by the way I've rejoiced personally to know that some of those larger churches aren't compromising on this truth but at the same time it's wild to me that a couple could attend a church for months to years and never know where the church stood until they asked a very pointed question. And I know that here at Crossroad, we have some who come to our church frequently who are living in lifestyles that the Bible would call sin, whether that be homosexuality or living together without being married or other situations. But, but friends, I wanna just say to you today, we, we love you too much to not tell you what the Bible says. So we just want to be clear. And I would just tell you that, that though uh, many in the so-called LGBTQ community uh, would, very be, would be very upset with what we believe, I also think they would say, thank you for being clear about it. Thank you for being clear about it. So we felt it appropriate to have this section in our statement of beliefs. Sanctity of life. We believe that all human life is sacred and created by God in his image. Human life is of inestimable worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, and the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We're therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. Uh, brothers and sisters, I know we immediately think of abortion when we read this, and uh, yes, we are speaking to this issue, and as a church, we, we will continue to speak to this issue and advocate for the abolition of abortion, but we believe life begins at conception, but, but we also, I, I want you to know that in the coming years, this is going to go, the sanctity of life issue is going to go way beyond just abortion. Uh, we're, we're seeing elective suicide and medically assisted suicide growing in our country in, in an alarming way. And this issue of the sanctity of human life is going to get more difficult for us to navigate. But we need to be clear on where we stand as a church family. And the last thing you have on this statement of faith is simply a doctrinal commitment. And it just says that those who work and serve at Crossroad believe and live according to what we believe. That's important to us as we seek to be unified as a church. Now, now, let me make a couple statements because our time is running short, but, but I want to say this clearly. This is not all we believe, okay? It's like, hey, I got it all down on front and back on a piece of paper. This isn't all we believe, but this is a summary of some critical issues and some theological truths that make us who we are as a church family. And, and it's important for us to think about these as we think about membership, because as we've already mentioned, part of membership is walking in unity together. And you need to know that unity isn't just being nice and kind to one another and everybody getting along, though that's important and nice too. But the way we find unity is by coming together as people of God and agreeing on the core commitment of our faith but these beliefs are not just a statement that we want you to believe it's not like you sign on the dotted line that you agree to all these and then we move on from there 
I've always loved the classic uh, Rich Mullins song. It's actually not near my favorite song. It's actually way down the list, but the classic song Creed, right? You know, where he basically sings through one of the classic creeds, and then this is what he says in the little tag, the little refrain. I believe what I believe. It's what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. These truths, listen to me, friends, these truths we've talked about today, they're not contractual, they're formational. Hear that again. These truths are not contractual, they are formational. These truths are from the word of God that is molding and shaping our church into the family that God wants us to be. And if the Holy Spirit is leading you and your family to be a part of this movement, this family that is Crossroad Church, we would love for you to be a part of it. So I know that many of you over the last week have been praying and considering what to do. And I want to say this real clearly. Some of you aren't ready to join today, and you don't have to. We're going to have a membership class again in a couple months, and you will have an opportunity. But I believe that many of you over the last couple weeks have been called by God, drawn by the Holy Spirit to join the work of God at Crossroad. Maybe you've been here for years, but you've never really seen the importance and the need to join the church until this last couple of weeks. Or maybe you've been a member and you didn't like the old policy that we have, so you let your membership lapse and you're not a member now, and you say, okay, I'm ready to to join. This is important. I want to join the church. Or maybe you've been here for a few months or a few weeks and you've just been praying through it and sorting it out in your head, and the Lord has just told you, yes, this is your church home. Whoever you are today, we want to give you an opportunity to join. And we want this to be a special moment for you. In just a moment, I'm going to have our our team come and lead us in a song. And we're going to have a moment where you can grab that card. Every one of you had a card in your seat when you sat down that just is a membership card. And when you're filling out that card, here's what you're saying. You're saying, yeah, I I desire to be a part of the work of God that's happening at Crossroad. And if you're not a member and desire to be a member, I would encourage you to take some time and fill that out. And what I'm going to ask you to do is something that may seem out of your box a little bit, but I'm going to ask during this response song that you as an individual or a couple or a family come to the front and take that card and put it, there are four little baskets up here and drop it in the basket. And all you have to do, just say a quick prayer. Say, Lord, thank you for calling me to this church and pray for the future of our church. Then you can go back to your seat. And some of you are like, okay, I ain't doing that. (laughs) I recognize that. I want to tell you, if that's you, you can fill out that card, and there is a box on that back table as you leave, or there's also a basket over here at the Connect desk that you could take it to after the service. But here's one reason I think you'll be a little more comfortable doing this this morning, because I'm also asking our Crossroad family, those of you who've been here for six months or 20 years, I want you as individuals or couples or families to come down here during this response song and just have a moment with the Lord where you pray for the future of our church family, for those that God is adding to our church, and for the future as we seek to become the people God's called us to be. So that's what I want us to do today. Uh, With all those instructions, I guess at the end of this two-week series, all this really left to say is, welcome to the family, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this series. Thank you for the simplicity of the call of the gospel, but also, Lord, the call to be a part of a church family. And Lord, we we see this, we believe this, yet, Lord, we recognize just like the call to the gospel, it's simple, but it's also hard. So we know that even doing life in a local body of believers is hard. 
But God, we ask that you would help us to be a church that brings you honor and glory. So God, would you use this time however you will? Or those uh, who need to come and say, yes, I want to be a member of this church, I pray you'd move on their hearts to do that by your Holy Spirit, not any coercion of, of moments like this, but God, by your Spirit, would you draw them to do that? And God, for those who are in our church family, would you just use this as a reaffirmation of, of what you're doing in their lives, God? We just love you and we thank you so much for what you're gonna do. It's in your name we pray, amen.